This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 209 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I have just returned from Las Vegas Crazy weekend, not a lot of sleep, there was a lot of basketball, and there is so much to talk about today on this episode. We will obviously open the big story from the weekend, Kentucky losing to Ohio State. Kentucky, of course, their second straight loss, 0-2 in their two games in Las Vegas, third loss to uh, of the season and just kind of where this team is at. I know that there's a lot of people locally, a lot of people nationally that have basically said it's time to give up on Kentucky. I can't say that I'm there yet and I'm going to explain why. And I know it's not what Kentucky fans want to hear today. They want to hear that the sky is falling and everything's terrible. I do think that there are some things to consider about that game that a lot of people aren't talking about today. We will then obviously transition to a lot about Ohio State, which I believe is one of the top two teams in the country. We will get into an awful day for the SEC. Not sure if you saw, but LSU lost again. Florida lost again. Tennessee lost Lamonte Turner, which is probably their most important player. So disappointing day for them. Great day for the Big East. We'll actually talk a little Big East tubes because the Big East, I had an assistant coach from the conference text me and say, this might be one of the best days in conference history since we've gone to realignment. Since we've gone to the 10 teams, uh, it was an incredible day for the Big East. St. John's beat Arizona. Villanova beat Kansas. Overall, 7-0 as a league. Six of those games against Power 5 teams. And we will wrap with a huge story that I just didn't get to talk to on last episode, which was obviously James Wiseman. The news breaks shortly after I released Thursday's episode. James Wiseman has decided to remove himself from college basketball, remove himself from Memphis, and prepare for the NBA draft. I have a lot of thoughts on it, and I will tell you this. This was one of the number one topics on Friday. I did my happy hour, which I'm going to get to in a minute. Uh, This was everybody wanted to talk about. What do you think, AT? What are your thoughts? What really happened? And I will get into all that to end the show. Before we get started, listen, I normally do my spiel about make sure to subscribe, all that stuff, but I'm going to skip that today. What I'm going to say really quick is this. We had the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast get together on Friday in Vegas at Legacy Stadium, and the turnout was incredible. And so what I really quickly want to say before I start the show, I just want to thank all of you who were in Vegas 
for making the time to come out. Uh, I hope some of you maybe didn't know who I was before. We got some new listeners out of this, but I cannot tell you how impressed I was by the turnout, how happy I was with everybody coming, having a good time, getting to meet a lot of really cool people, getting a chance to put on names, um, you know, names to faces of listeners and get to kind of see, you know, I, I do this from my apartment sometimes and from hotel rooms if I'm traveling and to see the people that actually get to consume this show, to see the people that get to, uh, that, 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 you know, allow me to do this for a living, that took time out of their day to come to meet me, I cannot tell you how nice it was to meet all of you. So thank you to everybody that came, including, by the way, quick shout out to my new friend, Rachel. So I'm not going to give uh, away her husband's name, but her husband is a loyal listener to this show. And he said that he can't play the Aaron Torres podcast in the car because Rachel doesn't like my voice. So shout out to Rachel. She's the new Torrent Craig. Uh, she was really nice, actually. I'm just kidding, Rachel. But uh, shout out to Rachel. There was another uh, fan named Stu who didn't realize that I am not a Kentucky fan or Homer. And so he got kind of mad. He's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I can't listen to the pot. You're not a Kentucky guy. I can't listen. So shout out to Rachel. Shout out to Stu. And shout out to everybody that came. It was an unbelievable event. Um, and I'm so grateful. I really am. Obviously, the restaurant, Legacy Stadium, was incredibly happy with the turnout. They told me, obviously, if I'm ever doing anything again in Las Vegas, I'm always welcome back there, bringing you guys with me. But again, I just want to thank everybody for making the time because it was an unbelievable event. It was an unbelievable weekend. So many of you, some of you I knew before, many of you I didn't. So thank you for coming. And I think everybody had a good time. The drink special was incredible, and people seemed to love it. But Let's transition to basketball, because the one thing a lot of people didn't love was those thousands of Kentucky fans who traveled to Vegas, and they may have had fun at the AT Pod meetup where they had a couple beverages for a cheap price. You know what they didn't enjoy was the basketball both on Wednesday and on Saturday. We obviously, look, we spent a ton of time talking about Wednesday's game on the last episode, Kentucky loses to Utah. That was one that I really wasn't worried about. And I'm going to get into Ohio State and Kentucky and where, where I'm at with it. But obviously, that was the big story. The fans that traveled out, the thousands who came for two games, and the thousands of Kentucky fans who went home with an 0-2 record. And I know that Kentucky fans don't want positive spin, and they don't want to hear that everything's going to be all right. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you over the next few minutes why everything is going to be all right. But I think we need to look at this game from a lot of different angles. And like I said off the top, I do think there are some things that I'm going to say that I don't think anybody else has really said to this point, and I think they're worth considering. But let's start off the top. Kentucky does, in fact, lose to Ohio State in Las Vegas, 71-65, coming off a loss previously to Utah. And the story is Kentucky, because Kentucky lost for a second straight time, third overall. Obviously, the Evansville loss continuing to kind of just stick out like a sore thumb on their resume. And obviously, look, a lot of people are saying the sky is falling, right? Not only because of the losses, but... I've seen, you know, Kentucky's going to fall out of the top 25 by Monday. I saw Jerry Palm didn't have Kentucky in his projected NCAA tournament field of 68, which seems a little early and a little bit preposterous to me. But clearly things are not going in the right direction with this team. And I do think part of it is, and I do want to start with Ohio State, I do think part of it is we do have to give credit to Ohio State. And this was a good team coming in. They are one of the two best teams that I've seen in college basketball. And let's not forget 
that this is a team that has already beaten a good Villanova team. Villanova, of course, coming off of a win against Villanova. Uh, uh, Villanova coming off a win against Kansas. And they beat Villanova by 25. And they beat North Carolina when North Carolina had Cole Anthony by 25. So Ohio State was a really good team. And this was obviously my first time this season seeing them in person. And we're going to get to Kentucky in a second. But I don't think we should downplay the fact that because Kentucky lost its second straight game in Vegas, that Ohio State's a really good basketball team. As I said, 25-point win against Villanova, 25-point win against North Carolina, and even watching them in warm-ups, you could just tell they're a veteran team. They're a confident team. They're a team that has played in big games, that knew that they had played in big games, and knew they were going to be ready for this stage. And so I thought that that was kind of one of my biggest takeaways outside of the Kentucky stuff, is like Ohio State walks the walk, talks the talk, and backs it up. Like I said, they seem very confident in pregame warm-ups, and it transitioned to the game. What we saw from Ohio State is what we've seen all year long, which is a team that has seven, eight, nine guys that can beat you. I saw this stat in the box score. I thought it was kind of incredible. Ohio State played eight guys over the course of the game. Of those eight guys, seven players scored at least seven points. And that's why I think they're so deadly. They got guys all over the floor that can beat you. Caleb Wesson, their leading scorer, they're probably their best player, all Big Ten kind of player, fouls out with three minutes to go. They have other guys stepping up and making plays. Now, by the way, the refs didn't help necessarily, which we're going to get to the refs in a minute. But this is who Ohio State is. And so to, to, to make this totally about Kentucky is to undersell how good Ohio State is. And when I look at this team, like I said, they are a team that to me has guys all over the floor that can beat you. They shoot the ball well. They have three or four guards that can create their own offense, which is something that most teams in college basketball can't say. They have Caleb Wesson down low, the player that I just said fouled out, didn't even play that well. And so I think we have to remember that this is a really good team. I know I've already said it a few times, but when you win against North Carolina by 25 points, when North Carolina has Cole Anthony, when you beat Villanova by 25, and when you go into this game knowing that you have those wins under your belt, you're not going to be afraid of playing Kentucky on a neutral court. And so let's give Ohio State a little bit of credit. Let's talk about the fact that they are a really good team. I know it's a little early to start talking about NCAA tournament resumes and seedings and all that kind of stuff, but like... They got to be in the driver's seat for one of these top top four seeds, right? Like like one of the four number one number one seeds, because I don't think there's going to be many people, even by the end of the year, that have a more impressive resume than beating Kentucky on a neutral, beating North Carolina by 25 at North Carolina, and beating Villanova, who looks like it could go on to win the Big East championship. So, quick shout out to Ohio State because I think they're really good, and I think it's unfair to focus solely on Kentucky. When you have a team that's probably the number one or number two team in the country, I think Ohio State and Gonzaga are the two best teams I've seen. I thought it was unfair to open this show without giving Ohio State some credit. But of course, like I said a minute ago, the story is, of course, Kentucky. And it is about a situation where you go to Vegas, you're 8-1 you're and one when you leave for Vegas, you're ranked number six in the country, you beat Georgia Tech, and you think, okay... This is our chance to make a statement. We just beat Georgia Tech. That's kind of a good, uh, you know, kind of a appetizer, precursor, whatever for what's going to come in Las Vegas. You lose to Utah. It's a game where you fell down by 17 points in the second half. I talked about it on the last episode. It kind of shows that this team maybe isn't good enough to just show up and, and overwhelm teams with, with pure talent. And I think losing the Ohio State game kind of reinforced a lot of that. 
And it reinforced some larger picture issues, which I think everybody that covers college basketball is talking about today. I know you guys listen to other college basketball podcasts. I know if you're a Kentucky fan, you listen to Kentucky media, especially Stu, by the way, who hates the fact that I'm not a Kentucky fan, but neither here nor there. You're listening to other media members, and I'm not going to say stuff over the next couple of minutes that everybody else isn't already saying, but look, I do think Kentucky does have some big picture issues, and I said it last episode, it would be unfair if I've come on this show previously and I've talked you know, about how North Carolina has real problems, and Louisville has real problems, and Kansas at times has real problems. It would be unfair to not say the same about Kentucky, and right now, Kentucky isn't a very good basketball team. I think most of the issues stem from two big problems, which again, are not like AT originals, right? Like these are things that other people are talking about, but I think they're very fair. And I think the first one is Kentucky doesn't have a go-to scorer right now. And it's an issue. It's something I talked about in the last episode where when I watch college basketball, I always want to know, do you have that guy that can just get your points when you absolutely need them. Sometimes it's a guard, sometimes it's a big guy down low, sometimes it's a wing, but whatever it is, you need that guy, and it doesn't appear as though Kentucky has that guy right now. Obviously, I think a lot of us thought Tyrese Maxey would be that guy, but he really hasn't. It's kind of crazy because I knew he had been struggling since the Michigan State game. I don't think I realized just how bad it was, though. This was a kid that obviously open the college basketball season. He was the story of opening night when he goes off for 26 against Michigan State. How about this? In the 10 games since then, he has one 20-point game and five games where he has scored less than double figures. Oh, by the way, this is a guy that I was told was one of the best three-point shooting uh, players in this high school class he is currently shooting 25% from three-point land. And so when you have a guy who you think was going to be the best player on your team, and he's not scoring consistently, and he's not shooting the ball well, when I was told, I was up at Nike Hoop Summit last year, I asked the question at the press conference, and the coaching staff told me, they said he was the best three-point shooter that we had here all week. Nico Mannion from Arizona was there. Cole Anthony was there. All the big stars in high school basketball last year were up at that event, And I was told Tyrese Maxey was the best three-point shooter there, and he's only hitting 25%. And so you have that issue with Kentucky, which is that you don't have the go-to score that you thought you were going to have. We all thought Tyrese Maxey was going to be the best player on this team. And then it's mitigated by the fact that Tyrese Maxey is not the only one that's hitting three, missing threes, and that's the bigger issue. And that's the topic that I think everybody in Kentucky is just pulling their hair out or going gray thinking about. This team can't hit three-pointers, and it's absolutely unbelievable, but this was a team coming into the year that you thought, okay, Tyrese Maxey, as I just said, was one of the best three-point shooters in high school basketball last year. Emmanuel quickly hit about 35% last season. You think that's going to go up, it's gone down. Johnny Juzang, I saw him in high school. I think I've probably seen Johnny Juzang more than any high school player over the last over the the, the course of me covering uh, college basketball. As I've gotten to know the high school game more, I've probably seen Johnny Juzang more than any player in high school basketball. This guy, the one thing you could count on him for is that he could hit three pointers. He's not hitting right now. Ashton Hagens isn't hitting right now. Uh, Khalil Whitney isn't hitting right now. And so those two issues, not having a go-to score and not hitting three-pointers are huge issues. 
I saw this stat. I thought it was kind of an incredible stat, actually, about Kentucky's situation. It came from our buddy Gary Parrish, who's been on this show many times from CBS Sports. He tweeted out today that he actually looked it up. Kentucky is currently shooting 27.8% from three-point land, and that according to his research, a team shooting under 28% from three has not made the NCAA tournament since 2010. 2010, so nine years, we haven't had a team that shoots as poorly from three as Kentucky that has made an NCAA tournament. He then added that as best as his research could tell, 2005 was the last time that a team that shot under 28% from three got an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. And so, yes, you should be worried if you're a Kentucky fan. And, yes, these are issues that that the first one, I don't know if it gets fixed that they don't have a go-to score right now. Now I would add, two years ago, we didn't think they had a go-to score and Kevin Knox emerged. Last year, P.J. Washington had shown signs, but he hadn't put it together yet. And so I haven't given up hope that, that I don't even know if it's hope's the right word, but the reality that somebody could emerge, maybe it's Tyrese Maxey, maybe it's somebody else. And as far as three-point shooting is concerned, I don't have an answer either. And you know who else doesn't have an answer? is John Calipari. And that's the incredible thing to me. I saw all of his post-game press conference quotes where he basically said, like, look, these guys can shoot in practice. We recruited guys that can make shots, and they're just not going in right now. So that is obviously the downside with Kentucky is that you don't have a go-to score, you're not making three-pointers, and I don't have, like, like me as a guy who covers this sport, me as a guy who talks to people in the sport, like, I don't have an answer for it. It's just, it's the reality of this team right now. Now, this is where I'm going to go a little bit glasses half full, because I don't think it's quite as bad as everyone has made it out to be. And again, I know it's not what Kentucky fans want to hear right now, but we have to look at this from the 30,000-foot view of the entire season, And I would say that I have reason to believe that it will get better, or at least I'm not as negative as everybody else. And it's not just the whole, well, John Calipari always figures it out by March. Like, like that's part of it. But I think there's other reasons to not be worried. One, Nate Sestina's back. And I never thought that I would think, (laughs) I never thought that I would think that a grad transfer from Bucknell would be as important to this team as he actually is. Not just because he hit a ton of three-pointers against Ohio State. Right now, he looks like the only guy that can make open three-pointers. He he was five for eight against Ohio State. But I think he brings a toughness to this team, a maturity to this team. I was told by people that were in the arena against Utah on Wednesday night that he basically knew the scouting report so well that he was calling out their plays as Utah was running them. And I just think that this team that has never faced this kind of adversity before, even the vets that have come back, I think that they need a guy like that on the court. I think he's an incredible calming presence. I also think Calipari is slowly starting to figure out his lineups. I think Sestina's going to get a lot more playing time. I think we're going to see a lot less with Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery. I think there's been positives from Ashton Hagens. Like, I don't think people realize how well Ashton Hagens has actually played the last few games. This is a guy that over his last four games... Um, has scored at least 11 points, has picked up a huge number of assists. He's averaging over seven assists per game. He's averaging over two steals per game, and the turnovers are way down. And just in the trip to Las Vegas, those two games against two Power 5 teams, including a top 5 team in the country, he averaged 15 points, eight assists, three steals with two turnovers. 
That's incredible. And so I think he's starting to turn into the player that we all thought he was going to be last year when he showed up in Kentucky. People said, oh, he's a potential one and done, and he could be a lottery pick, and he's the best point guard in the class. Well, he's starting to play like it now. The other thing that I cannot get over, and this was why, like, when I saw everybody, like, freaking out, like, Kentucky's terrible, the season's over. You know what I thought? You know what I thought to myself? I thought what I already told you on this show was the first thing that popped into my mind, is that that was an Ohio State team that has already beaten Villanova, a really good team, by 25 points. They've already beaten a very good North Carolina team by 25 points. They've already beaten a good Penn State team by 20-plus points. And Kentucky, it was a five-point game with three minutes to go, and this was after Kentucky got no calls throughout the game. And listen, I don't want to go all Jay Billis on you here, but the refing was terrible. And I'm not defending it, and I'm not saying it's the reason Kentucky lost, and I'm not trying to take away from what Ohio State did. But the refereeing was awful. Kentucky committed 25 fouls, 41 total fouls in the game between the two teams. You look at the box score, Ohio State shot 27 free throws. And so the reason I bring that up is because we're, we're freaking out about Kentucky. We're saying the season's over. Cancel the season. Uh, you know, send these guys on their way. Let's just get ready for 2021. And I'm sitting there saying, listen, they played a team that beat Villanova and UNC by 25 a pop. And if another whistle or two goes their way, and there were a lot of bad block charge calls that, that game. It was unbelievable. I was sitting right behind the bench. It was unbelievable how bad the, the refereeing was. A couple of those calls go their way. They can potentially win that game. And so that, to me, has to be the saving grace. I think going throughout the rest of the season, between now and the last game of the regular season, the only team that Kentucky will play that's even close to as good as Ohio State is this weekend at Louisville. There is nobody in the SEC, which we're going to get into in a minute, which I think is anywhere near as good as Ohio State. No disrespect to Auburn. We appreciate Bruce Pearl, who came on the show last week. Auburn ain't Ohio State. Arkansas, who's playing incredibly well, is not Ohio State. Tennessee, who just lost maybe their most important player, is not Ohio State. Florida certainly ain't Ohio State, and I'm going to go after Florida in a minute. And so I know Kentucky fans want to freak out. I know you want to talk about how awful this was, and, and it was. You, don't, you didn't spend a lot of your hard-earned money to go to Vegas to see your team go 0-2. I get that, but I can't help but sit there and think that same team that beat Villanova by 25, that beat North Carolina by 25, Kentucky was in the game with a chance to win when they didn't get basically a single call the entire game. The three-point shots weren't going down. I can't imagine it gets worse. And I'm just intrigued to see how, if it can get better over the course of the next couple weeks, next couple months, etc. I'll talk with Nick Coffey on the next episode about the Louisville game, but I want to focus on Ohio State today. But I don't think... I think this is about as bad as it's going to get, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. And part of it is because the, the SEC is really bad too. So let's get into the SEC as a whole. I'm going to move off of Kentucky. I just gave you 10 minutes on Kentucky. But let's talk about the SEC as a whole because it was a disastrous day for the conference. And that's why if you're not a Kentucky fan feeling uh, listening to this show, if you're an Auburn fan, you should be feeling great. If you're an Arkansas fan, I think you should be feeling really good because there are so many wins to be had in this league. You're going to get an at-large bid. I'm calling it right now, December 22nd when I'm recording this, December 23rd when you're listening. 
Arkansas is going to get an at-large bid. But the rest of the SEC, it is wide open. That's why I also think Kentucky fans shouldn't feel that bad. So let's get into the rest of the SEC because it was a disastrous day for the rest of the SEC as Florida lost to Utah State. And Utah State's actually really good, so that's no disrespect to Utah State. But it's also, come on, it's Florida. We're going to talk about them. LSU loses a second straight game. They got smoked by East Tennessee State on Wednesday night. They end up losing to USC in Los Angeles, a game that I would have been at if I wasn't in Vegas. And then finally, of course, there was the uh, situation at Tennessee where Lamonte Turner is out for the season. So let's get into each individual one. So let's start with Florida. They lose to Utah State. Florida is now 7-4, and four, and I can make you this promise. I made this promise once before, and I will make it again with Florida. I'm done talking about Florida. I'm done talking about Florida on this show, and it's for the same reason I made the promise previously. If you're a longtime listener, if you listen to this show, you go back to September, start of football season, South Carolina loses their opener to North Carolina in Mac Brown's first game as a, a football head coach at North Carolina. You're probably thinking, A.T., why are you talking South Carolina football? It's because on that day, I said, I'm done talking South Carolina football because they're the same team every single year. They show up. The media tries to stuff them down my throat, tell me how the program's changed, how everybody's on the same page, how they've never been more locked in, and then they stink. And they go 7-5 and five at best. This year they went 5-7, and seven, and they stink. And they're irrelevant, and they're not worth talking about, and they're boring. And you know what? The Florida Gators in basketball are the South Carolina – Florida is the South Carolina football of college basketball. Every offseason, they're jammed down my throat, and Mike White, and he's got to, you know, look at him in, in his little tight shirt and his tie, and he's got a new recruiting class, and this team's so great, and they brought in Kerry Blackshear, and they're amazing. They stink, man. Florida freaking stinks. And it's no disrespect to Utah State, but you look at Florida. Listen, I want Florida to be good. You know why? Because I went to UConn, and UConn beat Florida, and I want it to be a great win on UConn's resume, but it's not. Because Florida stinks. And they, in their home state, lost to Utah State. And like I told you, Utah State's good. They're 12-2. and two. Mountain West regular season champs last year. Mountain West tournament champs last year. In the top 25. Probably going to try to get Craig Smith, their coach, on this show. But if you're Florida and you got stuffed down my throat as a national championship contender this fall, that's a team that you got to beat when you're playing them in the state of Florida. And instead, what happens? They end up missing their first 17 shots and losing 65-62. Shot 32% from the field, 4 for 17 from 3. They're terrible. And so you know what? Until they give me a reason to, I'm done talking Florida. I'm done talking about Mike White in his tight little shirt with his little tie on. Win some games that matter. Win some games that matter. Get me all fired up now. LSU, the bad boys. I love LSU. I wish they were good because I think it's a great story because people hate Will Wade. It makes for an entertaining show for me when I got to say nice things about Will Wade and you guys get mad. But LSU ain't very good either, man. They are now, uh, as I said, Florida is 7-4, and four, LSU 7-4 and four after losing to USC. USC, I will give credit to, is not by any means a bad team. I think USC is actually going to be an NCAA tournament team this year. But LSU, I do think, has real issues. And I think LSU's issue is that they don't have Tremont Waters on this team. And like a lot of people, 
LSU lost a really good player early to the NBA draft. Like a lot of people, that guy is now in the G League, and probably it would make sense for him to still be playing college basketball, but that's another conversation for another day. The reason I bring it up is because LSU is really struggling to take care of the basketball right now. And I don't want to criticize one player because I don't think it's one player's fault. But Javante Smart, I think we all, myself included, just thought, okay, well, Tremont Waters was awesome, but he's gone. Javante Smart was awesome when Tremont Waters was hurt last year. And so Javante Smart's going to step in. He's going to be Tremont Waters. And that's not the case. And it's not all on Javante Smart. But LSU can't take care of the basketball right now. LSU is averaging 15 turnovers per game. They're averaging 14 assists per game. And so that's LSU's biggest problem, is that they just can't take care of the basketball. And it was much the same against, uh, um, excuse me, against USC over the weekend. LSU really struggled. More assists than turnovers in that game. And I think LSU's a real, in, in real trouble here. So if you're a Kentucky fan listening, if you're an art, like, like I think these are all good signs if you're a fan of any of these schools because there are going to be wins to be had in this league. I think that's my biggest takeaway. I talked to an assistant coach uh, in this league the other day and we were talking and we just said like, man, there's wins to be had in this league. So whether you're Arkansas and, or excuse me, whether you're Auburn and you're seriously pursuing a second regular season title in three years, whether you're Kentucky and you're down and you need some positive reinforcement, whether you're LSU and you've lost two straight, whether you're Florida, well, I'm not going to talk about Florida. I'm done talking about Florida. But whether you're LSU, Kentucky, and you're struggling, whether you're Auburn or Arkansas and you're playing well, the one thing I could tell you, this league is not what we thought it was going to be. And so I think there's a lot of chances to win games in this league. There's a lot of chances to pad your resume. That's also, as I said, by the way, why I wouldn't worry if I was a Kentucky fan uh, LSU fan or whatever. I do want to wrap really quickly on the SEC by talking about Tennessee because they got some just devastating news on Saturday afternoon. And that is that Lamonte Turner, who has really been one of the building blocks of this kind of golden era of Tennessee basketball, is out for the year and actually out for the season. And so Lamonte Turner, for people who don't really, if you're not like totally familiar with Tennessee, why does this matter, AT? Well, first of all, Tennessee has been one of the best teams in college basketball the last two years. They win the SEC regular season title two years ago. They make the Sweet 16 last year. They're one BS foul call away from advancing to the Elite Eight where they would have played Virginia. But Lamonte Turner has been one of the guys that has been there from the beginning. He was part of Rick Barnes' first recruiting class with Admiral Schofield, with Kyle Alexander. He was the only guy left because he actually redshirted. And we find out that he actually has a shoulder injury that is going to cost him the rest of the season. And it's kind of crazy because actually a few days ago, I talked about Tennessee losing to Cincinnati on this show. And after the show, I got some feedback in Knoxville that was basically like, dude, AT, I know you went after the Vols, but I'm just telling you, this Lamonte Turner thing, I think he's a little bit more banged up than maybe you realize than maybe a lot of people publicly realize. And it comes out that basically he has major shoulder issues. Same problem that basically Mark, remember how Markel Fultz had to have like multiple shoulder surgeries that screwed up his shot, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's what Lamonte Turner is going through. And so I can't help but feel awful for this kid who has been an incredible ambassador to Tennessee, has been an incredible 
ambassador to college basketball and really been one of the X factors for Tennessee's rise to prominence. Him and Jordan Bowden are basically the only guys that have been there in the mix for the last couple years as they went from kind of doormat to SEC regular season champ to Sweet 16. Now this guy, Lamonte Turner, his career is over. The one thing I can definitively tell you is that he is a guy that's going to go down in kind of Tennessee lore in terms of his importance to that program, in terms of a guy that was one of the founding pieces to this era of success. He is done. Obviously, it goes without saying it's crippling for Tennessee, man. It's just devastating for Tennessee because not only was he one of the guys that they expected to score and contribute, but he was also a guy that, you know, he ran the offense and all that stuff. And that's another reason why SEC teams should be feeling pretty good because Tennessee is obviously not the same team that we thought they would be and that is going to affect them going forward. So we do wish Lamonte Turner the best going forward. But overall, like I said, just a disappointing down day for the SEC. LSU loses a second straight. Florida loses again. Kentucky loses to Ohio State. Lamonte Turner out for the year. Um, just a bad day for the SEC overall. Really quickly, a couple more topics. I do want to get to the Big East, which is incredible. Uh, also, we're going to wrap with James Wiseman. So if, you, if you're not a Big East basketball guy, skip ahead about seven, eight minutes. I did really quickly want to give a shout out to the Big East, though, because the Big East had what was unquestionably one of the First of all, it was the best day that any conference has had in college basketball this year. And it's really funny, right? Because, you know, we do this thing in college basketball, oh, nobody's good and everybody sucks and this and that. And, like, I'll tell you, the SEC is really bad. I just talked about it. The ACC, I think, is actually really bad. South Carolina actually beat Virginia on Sunday as I was driving back from Vegas. We know UNC's beat up. Uh, really outside of Duke and Louisville, there's a lot of question marks. And, frankly, I even have a lot of question marks about Louisville. But... The one conference, along with the Big Ten, that is not bad is the Big East. And it's funny because I've been telling you about this conference since the summertime. I've been telling you, like, I don't know if there's a national championship contender, but there's a lot of really good teams in that league. And I do think, by the way, Villanova is a national championship contender, but this is a league where there are no, I don't believe, bad teams in this league. Even DePaul, we've talked about DePaul. They're actually really good this year. And I think the Big East showed on Saturday just how good they are. Overall, the Big East went 7-0 and as a conference, which, okay, whatever, conferences have good days. But six of those wins were against other power conference teams. Villanova beat number one Kansas at home. How about this? St. John's going on the road and beating Arizona in San Francisco on the West Coast. DePaul beats Northwestern. Creighton, shout out to the Creighton Blue Jays, who are quietly, I think, a lot better than people realize. They beat Arizona State 67-60. Butler beats Purdue. And Providence just laid the waste to Texas. Shaka Smart's hot seat is getting hotter. But I just want you to follow this league. Because I'm telling you right now, as I said, there are no bad teams in this conference. And I do think that as we get going... It's going to be interesting because there's probably, like I think the SEC is going to get fewer bids than I expected coming into the season. I think that um, the Big 12 is going to get fewer bids than I think traditionally they have. The ACC is certainly going to get fewer bids than they have. The Big East might be like a seven or eight bid league. And I do think really quickly, like I, I'm not going to break down a ton of each individual game. 
Villanova is the team to watch in this league because Villanova is kind of the quintessential Villanova that we've seen in the past. They shoot the ball really well. They didn't even play particularly well against Kansas, but still beat them. But Villanova is a team, listen, I've spent a lot of time talking about them on this podcast, but they are just so skilled, so well coached. Everybody on the floor can shoot for them. They actually, as a team, shoot the ball very well, even though they didn't play all that well on Saturday afternoon. They shoot about 37% from three. They already have like five guys who have made at least 23s on the season. They take care of Kansas. St. John's, let's just say this real quick. Mike Anderson, I spent so much time talking about the SEC. Mike Anderson got basically run out of Arkansas. And I'm not saying I disagree with it because everything that I heard about Mike Anderson was that he was kind of, sort of checked out, and I think he kind of felt like, all right, like I'm, I'm Mike Anderson, I was here during the glory years, I'm untouchable, as long as I make the tournament like every couple of years, maybe win a game every once in a while, like nobody's going to bother me. And I think he kind of got kind of complacent at Arkansas. But I will also say this, when Mike Anderson was hired at St. John's, and he's now the St. John's coach for people who don't know, I think if you made it 40 minutes into a college basketball podcast, you probably know that Mike, Mike Anderson is the St. John's head coach. But Mike Anderson, um, when he got hired, it was just universally crushed. And I will say one thing. I was one of the few defenders only because what I was basically told was that Chris Mullen was a disaster as a college basketball head coach. And what I mean by that is very simply that, like, I was told Chris, uh, Chris Mullen basically didn't care. Chris Mullen didn't want to recruit. Chris Mullen wasn't even on campus for big chunks of the summer. Once the season ended, he was wherever, you know, the, you know, traveling and beach stuff. And, like, he wasn't there. His assistant coaches weren't on campus. And so the one thing I always thought about Mike Anderson, at least he's an adult. At least he's a professional. At least he's been there before. And so I never thought he was going to be disastrous. But how about St. John's 10-2 and two right now and going – on the road, essentially, it was a neutral site game, but Arizona has a huge following up and down the West Coast. They take care of business against Arizona. Um, just an impressive start to the season for this team who's already actually beaten West Virginia, Bob Huggins. Uh, just a good overall effort for them. I should mention, by the way, I didn't even mention 7-0 and on Saturday. Seton Hall, of course, took care of business against Maryland on Thursday. So just a great week overall. As I sit and look at the standings, there's only two teams that have more than three losses. One is Seton Hall, who's played maybe the toughest schedule in college basketball, lost to Michigan State, lost at, uh, lost at Iowa State, lost to Oregon, who's a legit top five, top ten team. And the other one is Providence, who might be kind of the weak link. But even Providence, they beat Texas by 22. So good day overall for the Big East. I will spend more time kind of talking about them as the season went on. I would talk about Nova, Kansas. I just don't think there's that much to talk about. Villanova didn't even play that well. They won that game. All right. Last little topic for today's show, and then I will let you out of here uh, with this edition of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and that is James Wiseman. And the story broke. I, first of all, I'll tell you this. James Wiseman was the number one topic at the AT Sports holiday get-together in Vegas. Everybody was asking me about James Wiseman. I probably had four or five people ask me, dude, what's the deal with James Wiseman? What do you think really happened with James Wiseman? So the deal with James Wiseman is that right after I recorded the last show, it was announced that he was going to remove himself from the University of Memphis, remove himself from college basketball, and prepare for the NBA draft. 
didn't get a chance to talk about it on the last show. If, if you follow the Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast, I did talk about it a little bit. But with James Wiseman, I think a couple things to talk about. First off, um, it just sucks that he's not going to play college basketball. Like, this kid is an insanely gifted player, insanely talented, and I think everybody wants to see him play. And I think everybody coming off of that 12-game suspension, I think everybody was kind of had January 12th circled on the calendar. Is he going to be back? What's the story? What's the deal? What does he look like? Is he going to make a case for the number one pick? And oh, by the way, Memphis is playing really well without him, so imagine what they're going to be like with him. So from that perspective, it's just disappointing and it's a bummer. Now, I think the thing that a lot of people wanted to know, especially at that holiday party a few days ago, was, well, AT, what's the deal? What's, like, what's the story behind it? Is there something else going on with the NCAA? Is there something else that's going to come out? Was there more to it? And the NCAA just decided that if you don't, you know, if you just remove yourself, we're not going to come down on you, blah, blah, blah. That part I don't buy. I don't really think there was more to it than what was already reported. Now, is it possible that, you know, the Wiseman family got other stuff from Penny Hardaway or Memphis or whatever? I think absolutely. But I, I don't think that there was some kind of conspiracy theory that the NCAA basically was shutting him down for the season. What I do think happened very simply was two things. One, uh, it's obviously the end of the first semester at all of these schools. So I think once James Wiseman got out of school and really had time to kind of think about it, he was kind of like, you know what? Maybe maybe I'm just going to go do something else right now. Um, and I think it was made easier by the fact that I do think behind the scenes, there was probably some agent in his ear basically saying, and in his mom's ear and in his family's ear and in whatever, saying, hey, man, tell you what, you just, you know what, you sign with me right now. I'll pay you 20K or I'll pay you 50K or I'll pay you 100K. I'll set you up with a trainer. You don't have to play another game of college basketball. I'm going to give you more money than probably your family has ever seen in one spot. I'll give you 50K. Just go hang out. I thought it was really interesting, by the way. An NBA reporter, Shams uh, Chernaria, or however you say his name, Shams was the first reporter to have this story. I thought it was interesting that it came from an NBA reporter because most NBA reporters get their information from agents. And so I just think an agent got in this kid's ear. I think an agent said, look, you don't have to play college basketball if you don't want to. We'll take care of your family. We'll set you up with a trainer. And you never have to play. And so that's what I think happened. I think they got in his ear. I think he realized he didn't really need college basketball. Um, but it is a disappointing day. And it does kind of create a whole new conversation about James Wiseman. I think selfishly, we as college basketball fans want to see him play. But I also think it kind of raises questions that people did have about James Wiseman coming into the season. And now that he's a professional, I'm going to take you behind closed doors. Because there were a lot of things that people kind of questioned about him coming into the season. And the number one thing, and I probably wouldn't have said this if he was still in college because I try not to like openly and overtly criticize high school and college players, but now that he's a professional, now that he's signed with an agent, um, you know, the first thing I think a lot of people have said about James Wiseman is, like, does this guy really love basketball? And so I think probably that was part of this as well. This has been a question about James Wiseman for two or three years. How much does this kid love basketball? Well, heck, now he gets to get paid twenty or thirty or $50,000 to not even have to play? That's a pretty good deal for a kid that's kind of like in but kind of out on basketball, and how much does he really love it? 
But that has been a conversation about James Wiseman from the beginning. How much does he love basketball? It's really interesting to kind of compare it with the Zion Williamson situation last year because Zion Williamson said, uh, if you remember when there was the whole conversation about like, is Zion going to shut it down? And like, what's Zion's future? And all that kind of stuff. And then Zion actually came back and Zion was like, yeah, of course I was going to play if I was healthy. I love that. Like, why wouldn't I play basketball? It's what I do. I'm a basketball player. Like, I actually think that was his exact quote. Why wouldn't I play basketball? I'm a basketball player. It's what basketball players do. Whereas other guys, I think, would have taken advantage of that. And I think that's a real thing with James Wiseman. I thought it was interesting. There was a couple kind of recruiting writers who have followed him for years and a couple of, of, of people that kind of follow the NBA draft scene um, and I saw some of their tweets that kind of insinuated like, I, don't, I mean, this guy's going to go top five, but don't be sold that he's like this dynamic superstar because this is a reputation that has followed him. And so I think it's part of it as well. I think he was getting good money to not play college basketball. And I think part of it was like, I don't really know how much he wants to play basketball. Also, by the way, if a kid doesn't love basketball, if he doesn't love the expectations, if he doesn't love the pressure, I think part of it was maybe... I don't want to listen. I don't want to put this out there and say like he was scared to go back to Memphis, but he would return to Memphis with different expectations than when he left the court last. Because if you remember, when he left the court last, the assumption was that Memphis was going to fall apart without him. Now, I never believe it because I know how good some of those other players are. But there was this assumption that like, well, Memphis just lost the number one pick in the draft. Like they're in real trouble. Well, they've been playing really well without him. And I think that's part of it, too. I think part of it is, he was like, man, if I come back right now, the expectation is this team's going to win a national championship with me. And, like, I don't want to say, like, that was the reason that he wanted to stop playing. But, like, I think that's a lot of pressure to put on a kid, especially if a kid isn't that confident in himself or isn't that confident in his basketball, like, whatever. I think that was part of it. But for all these reasons, James Wiseman is done with college basketball. As I said, I don't think there's some kind of ulterior motive. I just think this is the reality of who he is as a player. I think it's going to be really interesting to follow his draft process. I also think it's going to be really interesting to follow kind of what the response is from fans and media and other players. Because I will say this. You guys know, if you're a listener of this show, I am an advocate for college basketball. I believe that college basketball does a lot of things for a lot of players, including the good ones. Zion Williamson got a $100 million shoe contract coming out of high school or coming out of one year of Duke because of Duke. If Zion Williamson had gone overseas or Zion Williamson had not had to go to the college at all, if he could have declared for the NBA draft out of high school, Zion does not get a $100 million shoe deal. So Zion would have gotten a lot. Zion got a lot out of college basketball. I think James Wiseman would have gotten a lot out of college basketball. But I also can't deny that this is a black guy. More and more players are leaving college basketball either early, not ready because they don't feel like they need college basketball or they just want to get a paycheck. We now have RJ Hampton, who obviously went overseas and is playing over there, LaMelo Ball. And so to now have another high-profile player stepping away from college basketball, it is a black eye for the sport. I would also say really quickly that – it's just one of those things where, for the NCAA as well, because the NCAA is partly to blame here. And this was one of the things that kind of, like I actually agree with, is more and more people are, 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 are kind of saying like, top players don't need college basketball, all that stuff. I do think it helps. 
But I don't think the NCAA helped their own cause here. Because the NCAA had the chance to do right by the kid. They investigated him. They believed that he didn't know that his mother accepted money. And they could have given him a six-game suspension or an eight-game suspension. They give him a six-game six suspension, excuse me. He is already back playing college basketball. This is not an issue. He's still in school. He plays. He goes to the NCAA tournament. People watch specifically for him. And instead, they give him a 12-game suspension. Now, part of it is Memphis's fault. If Memphis had just held him out from the beginning, he gets a nine-game suspension. He's already back. But part of this is the NCAA's fault too, man. Like, why did you have to make an example out of him? You know that support publicly is at all-time low. You know players don't value college basketball the way they once did. You know guys are looking to leave as early as they can or go pro overseas or whatever. You got this marketing tool in college basketball, and you decide, you know what? We're going to make an example out of them. We're going to give them the nine-game suspension plus an extra three just to prove a point. Why did you do that NCAA? What'd you prove? What'd you win? What was the end game? How did it work out well for you? Instead, it's another black guy publicly. Instead, it's another top player who won't be playing college basketball this year. And now it's going to be really interesting. Because the one thing that college basketball has always had the last couple of years, as I've told you, is that guy. It's been Lonzo Ball. It's been Trey Young. It's been Marvin Bagley. It's been Zion Williamson. Like, who are people going to tune into the NCAA tournament to watch now? Like, the casual fan. Well, you know, people will watch for their brackets, but once their bracket gets ripped up, who are they going to watch? Because Cole Anthony might be hurt. Who knows if he's coming back? Anthony Edwards isn't going to be in it. Uh, RJ Hampton's not in it. And so it's just one of those things where I just thought that the NCAA, they could have done right by the kid. They could have suspended him six games or eight games or whatever. And instead, they did the opposite, and they kind of screwed him, if we're all being perfectly honest here. And I was kind of disappointed that that's what happened. I'm obviously disappointed with the way this whole thing ended. All right. Uh, I think that's it. I'm breathing heavy. It was a long weekend. I'm sweating out all the toxins from Vegas. But I want to thank you guys uh, for listening to this episode. And again, really quickly, thank you to everybody that came out over the weekend in Vegas to the AT uh, holiday get-together, podcast get-together, whatever. It was incredibly fun. If you're new to this show, I hope you enjoyed it. If you learned about me through the Vegas get-together, I hope you enjoyed it. And I will be back later this week. Uh, Nick Coffey will join me. We'll talk a little bit about the Louisville-Kentucky game, and then we'll probably actually transition to a little bit of football with the college football playoff games on Saturday. Uh, also, maybe have a little gambling expert on to talk a little bowl games and betting and all that kind of stuff. So we'll probably get back to a little college football next week or next episode, but also talk some Louisville-Kentucky with Nick Coffey. So that's all for today's show. Thank you for everybody who came out to Vegas. Thank you for everybody who's listening. If you're not subscribed, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Follow us on Instagram. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who doesn't like my voice. I will be back later this week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.